so often we come to the word of God or we come to the scripture, we come to the Bible because we need encouragement. We need strength. We need resolve. We need energy. We want to look on the horizon of our life and feel a sense of purpose of life. We come to the word looking for those things. We need a sense of purpose for the days in those, uh, in those days of darkness that we all experience. We need a sense of joy, even when we're experiencing pain. And so that's, those are the things that we need. And we often come to the scripture with those needs. And that's exactly what God wants us to experience in this text. He wants maximum hope for us. In fact, this text finishes, I'm just going to read it again very quickly, toward the end, verse 11, it says, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Hear that. Here's what God, what does God want? Full assurance of hope. That's where God's leading you and I this morning. That's what he's leading. And that's what the writer's saying here. That's what the Holy Spirit has to us. But here's the thing. We often come to the scripture with a set of expectations. We come with expectations and often those expectations are shaped by the culture around us. And often what we do is we'll come to the scripture and we expect it to say one thing. We come uh, almost like coming to a doctor and saying, here's the prescription I need. Would you fill it out for me? And the Lord is so faithful and so good to say that's not a helpful way. In fact, just for clarity, if you come to your doctor and hand him a note saying, fill this out for me, bad idea, right? Not good for your health. But we get to come to the physician and say, what do we need? And there are some times that the scripture takes a really different approach to giving us exactly what we need. We might think we need something and God says, but I have something fresh and something else to give you. I have strength and encouragement, but I want to do this in a different way. And the good father is going to encourage us in a very different way this morning. And we have you and I have a real crucial choice. Just being honest, we can uh, reject what the biblical aim is to stir our heart uh, in a different way. And we just kind of gloss over it. I don't know if you've ever had that tendency before, but you just open the Bible and you read through something and you go, just, I don't know, man, that's tough. I'm just going to keep moving on. I don't understand it. I'm just going to keep going forward. So we can kind of, and what we do, it's a passive rejection of what God's saying. So we just gloss right over it. So we have that option. We can just gloss over it, or we can just come humbly and just say, God, you know me better than myself. And and you love me more than I could love myself. And so I just want to come patiently to your wisdom and to your heart. And I just want to get your loving counsel. And if we open our hands this way, God's just faithful. He just loves to come to that kind of heart that says, okay, I'm just going to come to the word and I'm going to open up my hands. And so that's the kind of question that we have. That's kind of front and center when we come to a text like, this difficult one that we just read together, because sometimes the whole picture needs to be seen and it feels a little bit uncomfortable for a moment. 
And there's this point of showing, the point of showing this whole thing is just to be able to say, I want you to have the whole picture so that you have maximum thriving, maximum experience with me, maximum life in me. That's what God wants. And that's what God's doing through this pastor. And so he's writing this letter to help these sweet kiddos of his uh, have maximum life. And what he's going to say is, listen, you need to be aware. There is a faith that exists that isn't real. And I just want you to be aware of this. It's not authentic and it can make shipwreck of our lives if you're not careful. And I don't want your life shipwrecked. I want you maximum hope. Remember, full assurance of hope. That's where the father's leading us. And that's what I want for all my kids. And so that's my prayer, honestly, this morning, is that we can look at this text and one, that its meaning becomes really clear, but that two, this text gets to have its full work in our soul, full work in our soul, that we get to experience a zeal for this fight for real and authentic and beautiful and very imperfect faith that we're meant to have. That's what God wants us to experience. So I'm just going to go, I'm going to kind of try to answer three big core questions this morning, and then we're going to ask God to just have his way in our lives. So question number one, why is he writing this to these believers? Why is this pastor, this writer writing to these believers, right? We got these precious followers of Jesus but what do we know about them? They've been struggling. They've been going through incredibly difficult times. If you've been a part of this series coming up to this point, uh, they've been going through it. Persecution, hardship. They've lost loved ones because of their faith. They've been ostracized and they're trying to navigate this and they're teetering a little bit going just like, I don't know if this Jesus thing is worth it. And they're wrestling through that. In fact, 5.11 says they, can't, they become dull in their hearing. So they've, they've stagnated out in their faith. And this writer saying, there's more for you and I to step into, but something is eaten down, eaten away at this thriving faith that was in you. And, and so up to this point, he's just been trying to encourage him. He's been saying, hey, listen, Jesus is your high priest. He's the answer to the cry of your heart. Here's who you are. And here's who Jesus is. And here's what he does. And he's telling them, you run. Remember last week, you run to the throne of grace with boldness to experience life. And he's like, and he's saying, don't be like Israel that didn't enter into the rest of God. So he's pleading and he's saying, hey, hold on, hang on. God has beautiful things for you. And he says, listen, Jesus is the, he knows exactly the temptations you're facing. He faced them. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. That's the heart of what the writer's saying. But then he wants to do something that good fathers do. He wants to do something that all good daddies do. Good fathers help their sons and daughters have healthy fear. Good fathers help their sons and daughters and mamas too. They help their, their, they help their, their kids have healthy fear. Now, real simple expression of this is, uh, you really early on helped your little toddler. You told them, hey, the stove is not a safe place for you. 
This isn't something that you get to play with because there's a healthy fear of what this can do. And then as you grow, we get to help you understand there's, hey, this thing can be really life-giving for you. In fact, you can now make your own mac and cheese to the glory of God, okay? All right? So I thank God for that, okay? But there's a season in which they ain't ready for the mac and cheese production experience, okay? And you just say, hey, this is not something I want you to touch. You need to be careful. That's healthy fear. We, we know um, the scripture talks about, and we don't have time to get into this, and I wish we do. Maybe someday we will, but the, there's called the fear of the Lord, where there's this understanding of this, the glory and the beauty and the majesty of the God of the universe. And when you think on it for a moment, it just sends a little shiver down your spine. Should. And there's this thing that just goes, God is incredible and beautiful and real. And there's a healthy fear of the Lord. Uh, I have a, um, an even more present example of healthy fear. Uh, I'm, I'm teaching my 15-year-old son to drive a car. And, and I actually love it. It's actually amazing. And it's, it's been so fun, the little bit that we've got to do. Um, but when you and I sit behind a wheel, there's actually necessary to have a healthy fear. And I'm so grateful my son is experiencing that a little bit because there's an unhealthy fear that says, uh, I have anxiety. I can't do this. Mom, you're just going to have to drive me for the rest of my life, right? That's unhealthy fear. But then there's a healthy fear that just says, I've got a half ton machine at my hands and I'm zipping around at crazy rates with other half ton machines. And so there's maybe a healthy fear. You know what an evil father does? An evil father says, Dude, get out on the road. You do you, bro. Somebody else is driving like a bat out of Hades. You need to match them. Do this thing, all right? Whatever you want to do, go do it. That's what an evil father does. A good father says, hey, you're going to come to this moment, and there's a truth and a principle, and if you operate by this truth and principle, you experience goodness, and you get new freedom and you get new life that comes from doing this well. That's what a good father does. He introduces kids to this place of health, healthy fear. It's actually a gift to our hearts to have a father who gives us a healthy heads up, if you will. It's, hear this. It's not mean-spirited of God to give us a warning about things that will hurt us. It's not. It's actually deeply loving. It's not mean-spirited. It's deeply loving. And so with that, God has this loving and kind warning to protect us and to give us assurance of hope for our hearts. Now, that's where we're headed. Everybody with me? Here's where we're headed. Full assurance of hope. That's where we're headed. So Hebrews, I want to go back to this seminal part of this text. Hebrews chapter four, verse four, it says, for it's impossible, impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, 
who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And that leads us to our second question, which is, is this writer saying that if we mess up and if we fall short and we become dull enough that we can lose our salvation. Can you throw it up on the screen? That's the question number two. Is this writer saying that if we mess up or we fall short or we become dull enough that we can lose the salvation that we have in the Lord? Is that what he's saying? That's the question. And I'll just, the quick answer is no, that's not what he's saying. So what is he saying? Well, one, how do we know that he's not saying that we can lose this beautiful, rich salvation that we get in Christ? Well, number one, he's going to spoil it in Hebrews chapter 10. Here's what the same writer says in Hebrews 10. It says, for by a single offering, he has or Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, meaning this. Uh, in other words, when Jesus died, he perfected a group of people forever. He's already done this in the past. It doesn't say that his death will perfect them if they get sanctified. What it says is he's already perfected them, uh, those who are being sanctified. What an amazing thing to even think about how you've been perfected and then we're actually growing into it. So sanctified, you kids that are in the room, is a big word for you're growing every day to look more and more like Jesus. And what it says is Jesus already did that for you and you and I are just growing into our britches in Christ. Sorry, I just came up with that off the top of my head. It probably shouldn't have. Sorry about that. Anyway, it's a bad picture. But it's a beautiful picture, meaning God doesn't look at your sanctification, your growth process and go, uh, well, as long as you don't mess up again, I guess you're in. Or as long as you kind of get here by next October, maybe you can stay in the club. God's not looking at our growth process for evidence of whether or not you and I are saved. What he says is, I save you, and then I'm bringing you right up into the perfection I already bought for you. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying in chapter 10. But then I just love to look at let Scripture define Scripture. And I just like to look at the words of Jesus. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 37. Here's the word. Listen to Jesus' words, because this is like, if you don't get a little pumped up about this, you might not have blood pumping through your veins. John 6, 37, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will hear this never cast out. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose how much? Nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last Day, Jesus doesn't lose anything, anything. He's the king of the universe. He says in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And hear this, 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. My father who has given them to me, hear this. If you're in Christ, just side note, you're a gift to the son of God. If you're in Christ, you're a gift to him. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. God doesn't lose anything. He didn't lose anyone. You might feel like you're lost. God doesn't lose his children. So good. Amen. He secures them how? By his own blood. He secures them by his own blood. And he is able to carry you and I all the way to the end. Amen. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to go to the cross. I don't do things halfway. I don't do things halfway. I don't get meaning Jesus is. I don't get to the end wondering and hoping you make it. That's not who our king is. He actually says You'll get to the end because I'm hope. He's not, Jesus isn't hope. He is hope. He is hope. Hear that? Jesus isn't going, man, I hope, I hope you can make it. He's going, I am hope. I'm the answer. And I'm taking you all the way to the end. Jesus doesn't lose what is authentically his, period. The apostle Paul says it this way, Philippians 1, 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to full completion at the day of Jesus Christ. End of story. There it is. I'm taking my real, true, authentic followers all the way to the end. And so the question then is, what is this pastor? Or what is this writer? What is God trying to say to us in this text? What is he actually trying to say? And here's what he wants to say. You need to be careful because there is a kind of faith that does exist that isn't saving faith, that it doesn't persevere to the end. And I love you too much not to tell you about this kind of faith that isn't authentic. And I want you to be aware of it. And it might for just a moment sound a little harsh. But again, a good father doesn't say, ah, you could just go do whatever you want. He says, hey, you need to be aware of a pitfall that exists. I love you too much. And there's a kind of faith that doesn't work right. Actually, Jesus himself says the exact same thing to us. Jesus, in his own words, he actually is um, talking with people and he shares uh, a story. And it's got a bunch of metaphors and he gives us and he does Jesus all the does this all the time. He shares these stories and they're full of metaphors. You and I call them. If you've gotten to grow up in the church, we call them parables. So I'm just going to give you pictures that have intention and purpose behind them. But I want you to try to get it. And so he said, I got this story for you. And it goes like this. There's a farmer. He's a sower and he has these seeds and he takes these seeds. Jesus tells us this. He takes these seeds and he scatters them out on the ground. And some of them fall on the road. And then some of them fall on this rocky soil. 
And some of them fall in this soil full of thorns and thistles. And then some of those seeds fall in beautiful, rich soil. He says, there's four kinds of soil and there's a, a scatterer of seed. And um, I love it because Jesus almost never explains the parables. He just love it like, ooh. Uh, it's, it reminds me of the scripture says, it's the, glory, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of a king to search it out. And uh, it's a proverb. So it's in the Bible somewhere. I promise you. I, can't, I don't know where it is, but it's in the Bible. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's in Proverbs. And he goes, uh, G, but so the, the disciples are always like, please, for the love, tell us what this means. That's what they want to know. Like, what are you actually trying to say here? And so uh, Jesus goes, okay. I'm actually, this is like the, one of the very few, if any, parables he actually explains. And he said, okay, let me tell you what this means. And we're just, I'm just going to read it because you can't tell it better than Jesus. He says, listen, uh, Matthew 13, verse 18. He says, listen, hear then the parable of the sower. Uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path, meaning faith never takes root at all. There's someone that's hearing it. Maybe it sounds good, but the enemy comes in, pulls it up, and nothing ever takes root. But in verse 20, he says, but for what was sown in the rocky ground, this is the one, hear this, church, who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution comes on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, there's a kind of faith that has joy in the word immediately. And there's an excitement and it's moving. And they can maybe even endure for a while. But it has no deep root. And when the storm comes, and by the way, what are our good brothers and sisters that this writer is writing to in Hebrews? What are they experiencing? tribulation and persecution. And it's coming and they're going, I don't know if we can hold on Jesus. And he says, yeah, I know. I know what Jesus said. There is a kind of faith that it takes root for a minute, but it doesn't root down deep. And they fall away. And what he's saying is it wasn't real deep rooted faith. And then verse 22, he says, these are, again, these are Jesus' words. And for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word of God. And it proves unfruitful. Meaning there's also a kind of faith that cares too much about what the world thinks. You care way too much about what everyone else thinks. And you're living your life for the world. And that hunger to love the world, it chokes out 
the authentic word of God and faith, and there's no fruit from it. And then he finishes, and then there was sown on good soil. And this is the one who hears the word and he understands it. And he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold in another 60 in another 30. I mean, all kinds of different fruit varying levels. It's beautiful. It's, he's basically saying there's all kinds of expressions of faith and it has all kinds of different yields, but it's beautiful and it's rooted deep down. These are the words of Jesus. Listen to me. Hebrews writer is saying the exact same thing. There are those who can fall away. And he's just repeating what Jesus himself said. What does he say? By the way, if you go back to verse four, five and six, what do you say? He says a person can be enlightened, meaning they can hear it and they can receive it with joy and have much truth and insight into the Bible and the gospel. Or it says that they have tasted the heavenly gift and be a partaker of the Holy Spirit, meaning the very Spirit of God can be at work in their life and convicting of sin and drawing to Christ and revealing truth. And as Jesus says, it endures for a little while. Or the writer says, you can have tasted the goodness of the word of God, meaning you sat under the influence of your mama or a pastor, or some teacher, and it had some meaning for a season, and you might even confessed it to be good. Or, the writer says, he can have tasted the powers of the age to come. Tasted the powers of the age to come? That's a, that's a strong statement. What is that? It's the same thing, by the way, that Jesus said in Matthew a few chapters earlier. In chapter 7, hear this where he says there's going to be some who come on that day and they're going to say, Lord, look what we did in your name. We power prophesied and performed miracles in your name. And he'll look at them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Now that is a, a, a for just a, a gut-wrenching, it ought to just help with this chill that needs to come down the spine for a moment. I'm going to tell you, he can do all great things. I'm going to tell you, I will not get to heaven because I'm a full-time pastor. That is not my justification. Our works of ministry and how many many boxes we can pack and send all over the world, that's not the reason you and I are going to show up face-to-face with the Son of God. Prophesying and performing miracles, that's not our justification. That's not authentic and real faith, hoping that our good works will get us there. I'm a pretty decent person. I'll probably get there in the end. And the Father is so good. He's saying, that's not real faith. It seems like, it maybe even looks like, but it's not real and it's not authentic. This writer of Hebrews is just doing the same thing that Jesus did, saying, I just love you too much to let you go on thinking that this life is somehow about you and me and not about who he is and what he's done so that 
what's rooted in us is not about what you and I can do and accomplish, but what's about uh, what he has done for us. He's describing exactly what Jesus said, by the way, and uh, you and I read it, verse seven and eight, I won't read it again, but he says there's rain that's coming on good soil and there's rain that's coming on rocky uh, thistles and it'll end up being burned. And he's got this good warning as a good father and he doesn't want us to miss his heart. And he's saying there's a faith that exists that isn't deeply rooted. And it lasts only for a little while, but it doesn't get to the end. And I don't want you to have that fake, broken kind of faith. I want you thriving in real, authentic, if imperfect faith. That's what the Father's crying out to in this moment. And so we'll finish with this final question. How can I know... If all this is true, then how can I know that my faith is real and not fake? Meaning, how can I have that verse 11, full assurance of hope? If that's where the Father's leading us with this, if that's where this text is leading toward, how do you and I have that? How do we get there, right? Because let's be honest. Every one of us have had moments of doubts. Every one of us have had seasons where we fell away or felt cold toward the Lord or were struggling for seasons, wrestling with sin and feeling beat down and walking even away from the Lord. Many of us have traversed through those seasons in life. And one of my favorite things I get to do when uh, we do our connect class and we have families that want to join our church, we get to just talk about our faith journeys. And I love hearing people's faith journeys because Dang near 99.9% say, I had this season where I ran from the Lord and then he turned, turned me around. We've all experienced that. So we could come with unhealthy fear being afraid or we can come with healthy fear and open our hands up and say, okay, Lord, what does it look like for me to have genuine real, persevering faith that isn't blown away by the wind, the worries and deceitfulness of the world and riches and things that would steal real and authentic faith. So how can we be sure? And of course, God's just always so good to give us all through his word what he wants. And so I'm going to give you just a few things and then I'm going to actually just pray scripture over us as we go. One, you know, we got to lock, lock in, lock our eyes on Jesus. We got to set our gaze on him right now. Because the first thing what we want to do is start to look at our lives and we go, oh no, am I persevering? Do I have enough this? Do I have enough that? Am I spiritual enough? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? And the Lord's going, no, 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 no. I'm not asking you to look at your ability. I'm not asking you to look at your record or what you can produce for me. That's not, I'm actually saying, you want persevering faith, eyes off you and look at me. That's what he's going to say. The, and we're, I've, now I'm cheating. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll get there eventually. He's going to say, look at the founder and perfecter of your faith, Jesus. Look at him, see him high and lifted up. Who for the joy 
that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at him. Look at Jesus. See Jesus. He's saying, you don't have, you don't have perfect faith. I do. I am faith in the flesh. You don't have it perfect. Well, how do we interpret these seasons where we fall away from the Lord? Well, one, welcome to the club is every other person in scripture, right? Peter's mess up. Abraham, I mean, Abraham came before uh, 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 Egyptian and said, uh, he pretended his wife was his sister and said, you can, you can have my wife. I mean, I'm telling you some right now, if the men in this room did that with their wives, all right, we'd be meeting Jesus soon, face to face, all right? Abraham was a mess, sinned. David committed adultery, had the husband of the woman that he was in adultery with murdered and hid for almost a year. Yeah, we have seasons of falling and struggling. Yes, Jesus isn't asking for your perfect record. What he's saying is, look at me, come to me, treasure me, see me. I'm, your, I'm the answer. I want you to look at me. I want you to be with me. See him high and lifted up. Number two, we fight. We fight and we confess our sin. And guess what? God is just faithful to forgive. 1 John 1, 8, 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Here's the good news. Ain't nobody having to come here. Authentic faith is not about, oh, I don't have any sin anymore. Authentic faith is, Lord, here's where I'm broken. And I'm bringing it to you because here's what he says. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for hunger. He's looking for hunger. True and authentic faith expresses itself in hunger. I, you know what? I want to be honest with you. You know what? I, I don't worry about it. If you're in struggle, if you're struggling and wrestling with sin, I don't worry about you worry about me. The struggle, I always, one of my favorite authors, preachers, Mike Bickle, he used to say, uh, the, the, the struggle is the declaration you are a true lover of God. You're wrestling and struggling in an area of sin. That tells me you love God. It's the one that's not struggling, the one that's moving on saying, oh, whatever, I kind of do my own thing. That's where I go, hey, let's see sin and call sin, sin. And let's be honest, let's confess to each other. Let's be a confessing church. You know, I don't have anyone I could tell my stuff to. You have a pastor. You can come tell me. We'll pray for you. We don't have to hide in shame. Let's confess. Let's be real and authentic. Let's have brothers and sisters we can come to. Be real. Let's confess to the Lord. Confess to each other our shortcomings. You want to have real and authentic faith. It's not acting like you got it all figured out. It's saying, I don't and I need help. And then we'll just finish with this. I know I only have a couple minutes. We just get to rest under his promises over our lives. If you want authentic faith, we get to come hands open and rest. Rest. I'm going to read this over you. I'm just going to read this scripture and then we're going to be finished. Put your Bibles down. If it's helpful for you, close your eyes just for a moment so that I can just read Psalm 103 and then we're going to be done. The Lord wants us full, hear this, full of assurance, full assurance of hope. That's where he wants you. 
not wondering, not worrying, not unhealthy fear, healthy fear. Here's what he says, 103 of David, by the way, one of those who royally messed up really badly. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful, hear this, and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. But this, hear this, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. Oh, you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Lord, would you now anchor in us rich, deep faith where we look to you and not ourselves where we fight and we wrestle to have more of you and less of us. I bless everyone in here that has called on the name of the Lord. Anyone that if you're in this room and you've called on the name of Jesus, I just bless you with life-giving, powerful, persevering faith that takes you all the way to the end. Because Jesus doesn't lose any one of his. And if you're here online or you're in the room and you're not sure where your faith stands with Jesus and believing on him, you need to hear his invitation today. My son or daughter, you can have real, powerful, persevering faith if you call on my name now. You don't have to wait not something you have to earn. You open your hands and ask me and I will come and make my home with you. That's his promise. For he does not treat us as our sins deserve, but he crowns us with love and mercy. Thank you, God, that you have done that. We bless you, Lord. If you've been 
In a moment, we're just going to finish. We'll have some prayer partners. We'd love to pray with you this morning. If you have been wrestling with faith at all, we would love to pray with you. Uh, if you're asking questions about faith, good. You're in a good place. This is a good church to ask questions about faith. We'd love to pray with you. So our prayer partners are going to be available for you. I'm going to pray a blessing over us, and then we can go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of Jesus, who is our Savior, sits on the throne ready to receive us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings. Yes, you can go. Our prayer partners will be down front.